and welcome to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast from right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. We post our Sunday messages here each week and the occasional special announcement or series. You can visit vineyardchurch.us and select Springbrook from the menu to learn more about us or to access our audio archive. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. And now, here's the episode. I'm going to read our scripture today. Uh, it comes from Luke 19, 1 through 10. I'll be reading from the NLT. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest at your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. This is the gospel of Christ. Thanks be to God. Oh, I was supposed to introduce Josh. This is Josh Armstrong. He oversees all of our missional efforts at the vineyard and um, is a good friend. So what a treat. Josh. Best introduction ever. Thanks, Johnny. Good to be with you guys. Our printer is broken, and so I have my computer, and I'm hoping that it doesn't do anything weird, beep or the like. We'll see. Uh, hey, it's really good to be with you guys. Um, I, Lindsay, I said, Lindsay, what do you want me to preach on? And she said, just, uh, we've been talking about Jesus a lot. Tell us a story about Jesus. Okay, well. So I picked one of my favorites. I love Zacchaeus. I love the story of Zacchaeus. Um, Anybody familiar with Discovery Bible Studies? You ever heard of that? A couple of you? Yeah, Discovery Bible Studies is uh, something that we use a lot in the missions world. Uh, it's just a way of doing exactly what it says, discovering the Bible for yourself. And you ask a series of questions, and you don't need somebody to preach to you or teach you. You discover it. And one of the, the things you do in there is you, you read the story, and then you retell it in your own words, like you would tell it to a friend on an elevator or uh, in an airplane or something like that. You put it into your own words. I feel like I would never be able to do that with this particular story because it got hijacked in my childhood. How many of you heard a little song about Zacchaeus growing up? few church kids, will you humor me? Because um, we're going to sing this. It's going to get awkward. I got my teenage daughter in here. We're gonna, she's going to go to her happy place. Uh, sing it with me if you know it. Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior looked that way, he looked up in the tree. I think I messed it up. And he said, Zacchaeus, you come down. 
For I'm going to your house today. For I'm going to your house today. Yes. Yes. If you are new to church, you're never coming again. I recognize that. You should under, and you shouldn't, honestly. Like after hearing that, don't come back. Uh, we understand. And you probably understand us a little better and how, how traumatic some of our childhoods were. It was rough growing up in conservative Christian culture, uh, but we got through and here we are today. So I can never put the story of Zacchaeus in my own words again. It's been done for me for the rest of my life. Uh, Zacchaeus truly was a wee little man. I love this story about Zacchaeus. And look, I just wanna explore a few things um, that we can learn about Jesus and about ourselves from this story. Honestly, today, I'm gonna just talk about the gospel, if that's okay. I think Zacchaeus is one of the most beautiful stories in scripture that points to the gospel. I don't know about you guys, I'm involved, been, I, I was just thinking about it you know, earlier this week. I've been doing like professional ministry, whatever that means, for like two decades, for like a really long time, do, doing ministry and missions, and a lot of you guys have been in church for a long time. Some of you have been doing uh, different kinds of ministry for a long time. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I just lose sight of the beauty of the gospel. And so I thought today we could just do that. We could just look at the gospel through this story about Zacchaeus. Um, the first thing to talk about when you look at the gospel, and the first thing in the story of Zacchaeus that's pretty obvious is, is that our sin separates us from God. Now, I don't, again, if you grew up in church, you might have heard that over and over and over again. And uh, we don't like to talk about sin as much anymore because it's kind of an icky thing. Um, but the very first part of the story of Zacchaeus addresses it full on. It says, there was a man named Zacchaeus and he was the chief tax collector in the region and he had become very rich he tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. Um, and, you know, anybody can see that it was not the height of Zacchaeus, a.k.a. the wee little man. Every time I say wee little man, I want to, like something inside me wants to say it with a Scottish accent, but I won't because I've already embarrassed myself enough. It wasn't the height of Zacchaeus uh, that was the big problem. It was his sin. It was this false world that he had created by his own greed and it has separated him from both God and from those around him that he had cheated. Now, many of you are aware of like what, what the situation was with tax collectors in those days. There's a couple of stories about tax collectors uh, in the Gospels. We also know about Matthew, who was a tax collector. Uh, people hated tax collectors, like everybody hated them. Uh, as you're probably aware, the Romans ruled over the Jewish people of which Zacchaeus was one of. And so not only was Zacchaeus kind of screwing his own people by taking their money and giving the money to the, their overseers, their rulers, but uh, he was making bank on it. He was getting really rich on it as well. Even the Romans would have looked down on this guy. They would have been like, this is a traitor to his own people. So yeah, we'll use him so he can help us get money from the people. But what a loser. Like nobody likes Zacchaeus. Uh, the, the term that's actually used that Johnny read a few minutes ago is he was known as a notorious sinner. I don't know what you got to do to be a notorious sinner, but you got to be pretty, pretty rough around the edges. And that was, that was Zacchaeus. What he did was, was icky and it was gross and nobody cared for this guy. We don't know why Zacchaeus chose to betray his people. We don't get like his backstory. I would love to know the backstory of Zacchaeus. I have a couple of theories. They're probably not legit. But as I was just thinking through this particular story, maybe Zacchaeus, you know, he was a, he was a short guy. Maybe he was really little, kind of weak. Maybe he got picked on a lot growing up by his peers. And so he was like, hey, I don't have any problem uh, betraying my people. They were pretty, pretty brutal to me growing up. Maybe that was his story. 
Uh, maybe because he was small in stature, he couldn't do whatever was the common trade of his household. Like maybe his dad was like a pretty strong dude who had like a big manly job, but Zacchaeus couldn't fill those shoes and so he had to make ends meet, becomes a tax collector. Maybe something else. We don't know exactly what his backstory was, but whatever the case, greed became his game and money became his God. I don't know about you guys, the, the older I get, the more I realize that those folks in society, kind of like people like Zacchaeus, that, that seem to have it all together because maybe they're rich or maybe because they're brilliant or maybe they're powerful or even they come across as super holy church people, right? Uh, uh, they're often the most busted up and self-righteous people on the planet. Um, Zacchaeus had a lot of money, but he was really lacking in life. Um, I recently was, uh, I crossed the border between California and Baja in Mexico. Baja is one of the states of Mexico. Um, and as I was, I was with some vineyard pastors actually, and uh, one of the guys had been down there quite a few times before. And so as we're driving literally down this uh, highway beside the Pacific Ocean, it was so beautiful on the right-hand side. There was a big white building, like a huge building that had no windows facing the land. Um, but he said, hey, if you ever went there, you would see these incredible windows facing the sea, uh, uh, facing the ocean. That building, do you know what that is? I said, no, I don't know what that is. He said, he said, that building is where incredibly rich Americans go to get high dollar cosmetic surgeries, like plastic surgeries and stuff, by some of the greatest doctors in the whole world. And then they live in utter luxury, not having to face the land, but facing the ocean. And they have everything they need while they recover and uh, look at the hills behind them. And we looked over. And I mean, you're, you're looking at just like incredibly poor people. If you know anything about Baja, that, that particular state in Mexico is where lots of very poor uh, Mexicans come to a rich state, Baja, because there's, there's the tourist industry and all that stuff to try to make a little money. But they'll come and they'll live in absolute squalor and try to make some money and send it back to their, their people back in the states that they're from in Mexico. And it just, man, it, 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 it hit me the irony of some of the richest people on the planet coming and, and, and trying to make their own lives better by having these surgeries done and living in utter luxury while they recover, while people literally in the foothills behind them were living like paupers. There were brickly, I actually went into some of the hills while we were down there. Uh, and you go up in the hills, and literally when you go over the hillside where you can't see the ocean anymore, you'll see all these very poor Mexican families, even kids that are building bricks out of the mud in the ground. And, uh, and then I just thought to myself, man, I bet it's so interesting when they go to the top of the hill from their like really rough lives, they go to the top of the hill and they look down at some of the richest people on the planet. What must they be thinking? <laughs> and, you know, it, it makes me think of the way people looked at, at Zacchaeus, this guy who seemed to have it all together because he was filthy rich. Uh, but man, people could see straight through it, the ickiness of his life and what he had become. Um, a few, uh, quite a few years ago, when Amanda and I hadn't been married too long, we, <laughs> this is gonna be really weird, but I'll tell the story anyway. Um, we, uh, so my family, like on my dad's side, are like big time gift givers. Like they love at Christmas time to give tons of gifts. I remember as a child going Christmas and like it was the best thing ever because a whole living room of whatever house we were going to would be filled with presents. But as my, myself, my sister, uh, we got a little older, everybody knew that not everybody could afford uh, to buy the kinds of presents 
uh, that had been bought in the past. And so I think it was one of my aunts. Uh, there's, there's another backstory to that. But I think it was one of my aunts that said, hey, let's just buy like essential things that everybody wants or, or that everybody normally would buy for themselves. Um, and that way, you know, we don't have to spend too much money and we can just, uh, we, you know, everybody can still get some things that they need, they actually need. And we were like, what do you mean? And she said, you know, like whatever your favorite food items are or toiletry items or cleaning products, we'll buy that for each other and then give that for each other, it, which was so weird. I know, I recognize the fact that that's so bizarre. I never will forget that Christmas. I mean, we've been going before and getting all these awesome like Christmas presents and it was awesome. And this particular Christmas, it's like you open up a present and it's like a thing of Tide detergent. And how are you supposed to react to that? You know what I mean? It's like, oh, what I always wanted. I mean, the whole day, it was the most awkward Christmas I've ever experienced. And um, I think that's like when we we go through life, when we've experienced just enough of life, uh, it's kind of like that. We can become numb uh, to the things that we've experienced. and Zacchaeus, somewhere along the way, I mean, because he had to grow up with this feeling, uh, like all of us do, of the, en- the enchantedness of the world, the beauty of the world. And somewhere along the way, we don't know what happened. We don't know his exact backstory, but he became uh, bitter and cynical, and life just wasn't magical anymore. And so he turned to something that he thought could fulfill him. It was, it was money. It was greed. And you know, we, we can look down at Zacchaeus, but we all intrinsically know that's, that's our story. We all, life, life messes us all up along the way. We, we have a magic at one point and then somewhere along the way, things that we can become, we can become cynical because of the, 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 the hardness of life, the difficulty of life. And that was Zacchaeus' story. So for Zacchaeus, this God was money and it separated him from his true identity. Sin separates us from God. You know, it's said that all humans have something that concerns them ultimately. And whatever it is, that object of ultimate concern is that person's God. For Zacchaeus, it was, it was money. For all of us, our identity gets strangled along the way. We become something we weren't meant to be. So the first thing we can see is sin separates us from God. The second thing we can see from Zacchaeus' story is that Jesus, in that sin, he meets us in our brokenness. Um, and, and God has been doing this all throughout scripture. Again, if you've not been in church that long, you should know that from all the way in the beginning, the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, uh, God meets us in our brokenness. You think all the way back to Adam and Eve's story, uh, at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, God was asking Adam after they'd eaten from the forbidden fruit. Remember the question he, he asks? He says, where are you? As if God didn't know where they were. Do we really think God had lost Adam and Eve? I mean, obviously not. He was, he was pursuing the state of their souls. And he's still doing that with us today. And he was doing that with Zacchaeus. Look in verse five, it says, when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your, house, in your home today. Now we've already had a little audience participation and it's already been kind of awkward. Let's, let's keep going. Does anybody, and if, and if nobody has this, it's okay. Does anybody have like a hundred dollar bill? Uh, Anybody? I'm not going to ask for it. That's not, we're not that kind of church, by the way. Uh, uh, okay, nobody. Anybody have any currency at all? Like just like a dollar? You got, can you hold it up for me, anybody? All right, we, we need a visual effect. Yeah, all right. We got, we got here we go. What, what, do we, what, what do we got here? We got a one, we got a 20. What is that? I, my, 20, all right. You're doing pretty good, buddy. <laughs> uh, all right. You ever thought about where those things have been? 
like that's a 20. You ever specifically thought where a $100 bill has been? Uh, don't too much, okay? <laughs> I mean, think about it. Some of the currency that you may have in your pocket right now could have been used like in a transaction with a prostitute, could have been used to buy drugs in a drug deal. I mean, there's all kinds of crazy things that could have happened with the currency in your pocket. Now, let me ask you this. Um, does that at all change the value of that piece of currency with the U.S. Treasury? No. I mean, it's that $20 bill, no matter where it's been, no matter what it's done, it's still worth 20 bucks. Like, you can't change that. The U.S. Treasury is still going to honor that. And I think when we think about ourselves, no matter our value, no matter what we think our value is, our value is the same with God. Like Zacchaeus was so busted up and Jesus could have looked up and said a lot of things, but he called him by his name. He recognized his identity and he said, I'm coming after you. And you look, I don't know where you stand on your personal value today. I mean, some of us I know have probably issues with that. You know, we look down on ourselves. Maybe some of you today think, I, I deserve nothing in life. I'm a horrible person. I don't know what you think about yourself. Your value to God does not change. It is what it has always been, and that is that you are a son, you are a daughter of the king. And nothing can change that. You see, sin is not God, listen to this, don't miss this, sin is not God separating himself from us. It's us saying no to God. I don't know what message you heard growing up, but, but some of us may have heard a false message along the way that God was mad at us and that he was going to run away from us because of our sin. God's not moved. Guess who has? It's been us all along the way. Sin is not God separating himself from us. It's us saying no to God. And there's, there's pictures of this in the scripture, but maybe two of the most powerful pictures. One is the cross. Do you know what the cross is? The cross is the ultimate declaration of what we do to one another, what we do to ourselves, and listen, what we do to God. The cross is a picture of what we do to ourselves, what we do to others, and even what we do to God. You know what God's response is? The picture that we get from God, it is an empty tomb. It is resurrection. See, our response to God is awful, and it has been for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, but his posture toward us is love and resurrection, and it always has been. And that's different. The third thing that we can see from the story of Zacchaeus as we read on here is that not only was Zacchaeus a busted up sinner, not only did Jesus meet him in his brokenness, but a couple more things we want to see here, and that is that renewal and purpose are available even for the worst of sinners. You see, it wasn't just enough, as we're going to see, for Jesus to meet Zacchaeus in his brokenness, but he had more than just fixing Zacchaeus. He was going to transform him and give him a life of purpose. So listen what that looked like in his story. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy, but the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. And meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. You know what that would have done to Zacchaeus? Probably would have ruined him. 
I'll give him back four times as much. Verse nine, Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. What we see here is when Zacchaeus received the unconditional love and forgiveness of Jesus, it changed his heart and it allowed him to once again open up and give to those around him. I love this quote by Henry Nouwen. I think it'll be up behind me. Henry Nouwen says this, the knowledge of Jesus's heart is a knowledge of the heart. And when we live in the world with that knowledge, we cannot do other than bring healing, reconciliation, new life, and hope wherever we go. The desire to be relevant and successful gradually disappear, and our only desire will be to say with our whole being to our brother and sister, brothers and sisters of the human race, you are loved, there is no reason to be afraid. Knowledge of Jesus' heart is a knowledge of the heart, and we can see clearly, when we see what he's done for us, we can see clearly to give away ourselves, to be given away. Um, I recently heard about this church. It's a true story. It's not going to sound true, but it's, it's a pretty incredible story. Uh, I was in West Africa not too long ago, and a West African friend of mine from Mali had visited some of his friends in Nigeria, and he heard this story. How many of you know the, the terrorist organization in Nigeria, Boko Haram? You heard about these guys? Yeah, pretty gnarly dudes, like literally lots of persecution happening right now, mainly in northern Nigeria from this terrorist organization called Boko Haram. So my friend was telling me a story about a church that's uh, there. Um, There had been about 20 churches in a certain region in the north of Nigeria, 20 churches that had been burned down by uh, a local faction of Boko Haram. Um, so, I mean, the whole area in that region was freaked out. Everybody was nervous. Everybody was trying to kind of go underground. Um, and he heard about one particular church, and, uh, and he heard this from some people who had formerly been in Boko Haram, by the way. Um, they were going to burn this church down. It was going to be like the 21st church, right, to be burned down. And as they were going in there to do that, one of the members of the terrorist organization said, hey, we can't burn that church down The rest of the guys were like, what are you talking about, man? He said, yeah, that church, uh, I know for a fact that they have uh, provided education for like two of my sisters. Uh, They never would have got an education otherwise. Um, But uh, yeah, that church did that. And then another one of the guys, another one of the terrorists said, yeah, they actually put a roof on my aunt's house. Like it's been, uh, it like completely changed her life. She didn't know what she was going to do. And one by one, like several of them told a story about something that that church had done for their families, and they walked away. And that church is still there today. Uh, there's a lot more to that story. But it's a beautiful story, you know. And and we, I, I love that story um, because that church had surely experienced a knowledge of Jesus's heart. In response, they loved and they served their community, even though it might cost them everything. Can you imagine serving and loving people in a community when churches all around you had been burned and surely you would be next? But that church, they had experienced the knowledge of Jesus' heart and it transformed them and therefore it transformed even their enemies' lives. Another story, and this is a, a shout out. I actually heard this story from a book that my friend Alan, who I think is here today, uh, gave me. It's a story of a uh, 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 told by a Lutheran pastor, and I might mess the story up a little bit. It's been a while since I read it, but uh, uh, she tells a story about, you remember when Sandy Hook happened? I mean, I know it's like horrible to even conjure up that memory. That was like 2012. Uh, 
school shooting, like 20, 26 people total killed by Adam Lanza, like a 20-year-old guy, um, obviously messed up guy. Um, took, uh, took the life of 26, 20 of them were kids, like little kids. And do you, do you remember when it happened? It's like right before Christmas. It's awful. I remember the, the weight and the heaviness of that Christmas over the whole country, like the whole country. We all felt it. Um, so this Lutheran pastor tells a story about she, she wanted to minister to her congregation. And so they were going to uh, basically read, uh, have a service and, and, and read the names of every person that was killed and then ring a bell after each name and, and just hold that name in intention. Um, and that was their way of grieving. Um, and so they were preparing to do this, and, and, uh, and they also wanted to light some candles. So she asked her young intern, this pastor asked her young intern, hey, will you go buy some candles um, and, uh, you know, buy 26 candles? And the intern said, don't you mean 27? Of course, the pastor immediately knew what this young man was talking about. And she said, no, we're not going to get another candle. I, I cannot do that for Adam Lanza. He doesn't deserve it. And this young intern evidently had been rescued from a very difficult past himself. He'd been rescued by Jesus. He understood the gospel. And so when she said, I don't think we can get 27, let's just stick to 26, he said, then what did I sign up for? What did I sign up for? And she said it was the most powerful moment when after each of those names was read and a candle lit and a bell rung, they got to the 27th name. And against everything within her, she was able to say the name Adam Lanza. And the bell rung. You could hear a pin drop in the room. Because all of us or Adam Lanza, you know, isn't that a horrible thing to say? But all of us have this ickiness inside of us, and Jesus meets us where we are despite ourselves. If you've been doing this Jesus thing for a while, you know that's true, and if you've never experienced the love of Jesus, he will come after you wherever you're at, no matter what, period. Your name is in his heart, and he loves you desperately. That's the gospel. We've all probably heard at least John 3.16. I want to add the verse 17. We sang about it this morning, but this is just captures so eloquently the heart of God. For God, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There's a story I heard a few years ago of a brother that was asked by his parents to give blood for his sister. He had the same blood type, and, and they thought it was really weird because he, he wasn't necessarily, they knew he wasn't like freaked out by blood, uh, but he was really kind of in his own head about doing it, but he never said he wouldn't do it, and he said, yeah, I'll go. And so they went, and he was uh, starting to give blood for his sister, and the process had started, and he looked over at the nurse who was taking his blood, and he said, so how long will it be? She said, what are you talking about? And he says, until I die, how long will it be? And obviously the kid thought that he was going to bleed out in order to save his sister. He was really naive. Um, you know, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, and here's, here's the deal. Jesus was certainly not as naive as that little boy in that story. But his words are quite similar as he prayed in the garden the night before his death. Listen to these words. You've heard these words, right? Father, if there is any other way, let this cup of suffering pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. 
And you see, when we have truly experienced the grace and forgiveness of God, we can become like him and give grace and forgiveness to those around us, even our enemies, like that church in Nigeria, like that little boy for his sister. And can you see that transformation in Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was so transformed that the overflow of his life, he wanted to give away anything because of what Jesus had done for him. Even four times as much as he had cheated anybody else, this would have cost him everything. This is our response to him who gave everything for us. We're transformed and we're given purpose. We become like Jesus. We give ourselves away. Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 through 20 says, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This is what he's done for us, and the overflow of our lives should be becoming like him, proclaiming freedom and giving away everything. Uh, I've told a lot of stories. One more story, and I'm done. Is that okay? It's my favorite one, I think. Um, I heard this just not too long ago from my friend Ross. Ross actually serves on the Vineyard USA missions team with me. He's probably the oldest guy on the team. I think Ross is close to about 70 years old. Been doing uh, ministry for a long time. Really cool dude. Anyway, he said uh, a few years ago, he was visiting his sister and her husband. Uh, Her husband, uh, I think was Polish. He's passed away now, he was Polish. And Ross knew from things that his wife, had to- that, that his sister had told him, that his brother-in-law, this Polish guy, had actually been a kid in Auschwitz, uh, which, you know, you heard those stories, right? Uh, horrible, horrible stuff in that concentration camp. But this guy would never talk about it. In fact, he was a pretty closed-off guy. He didn't talk about his past, for obvious reasons, I would say. I probably wouldn't either. Uh, but they knew he'd experienced some horrible trauma while in Auschwitz as a kid. And so... They were over at their house for Christmas, and um, they were eating, everybody was eating, and all of a sudden, Ross looked over at his brother-in-law, and his brother-in-law was eating an orange, and tears were forming in his eyes. This was a guy who had never shown emotion, and so Ross just asked him, he said, hey man, I don't remember this guy's name, but he said, hey, what, what, uh, what, are you okay? Like, what's wrong? And he said, all of a sudden, the guy, the floodgates opened, the guy started crying, and he told him this story. He said, When we were kids in Auschwitz, many of our friends died, most of starvation, or some were gassed, and we thought we were next. We knew it was happening. Uh, It was only days, maybe months. And uh, we didn't know anything about Americans, but we heard one day, hey, guess what? The Americans are here. They've they've shown up, and and, uh, they're going to come in in a minute and tell you what to do. But they didn't know anything about the Americans. They didn't know if they were as good or bad as the Germans or what. And so he said they gathered, the Americans came in, they gathered some of the kids together, and they took them over to uh, a big building. Now the building they took them to was one of the buildings where they had executed hundreds and hundreds of their peers. And so as they were going there, this guy said, I knew we were going to our deaths. He said, I looked around and some friends were crying, some were quivering, some were messing themselves because they were so horrified as they went to what they thought was their impending doom. And he said, we got there and the Americans opened the door. And when they opened the door, there was a feast unlike anything I've ever seen before or since. He said, there were meats and vegetables and fruits. And one of the GIs led me up to the table and he handed me an orange. 
said, I never tasted an orange before. And I bit into it and it tasted like heaven. And I wonder, I wonder what Zacchaeus thought. You know, he, he was curious about Jesus. He went to that sycamore tree and he thought to himself, I just want to get a glimpse. But what if somebody had told him before he went there, Jesus is going to look up at you and say something to you? What do you think he would have thought? I bet he would have been, had a similar emotion to that kid thinking he was going to his death. He is going, Jesus surely is going to tell me what an awful person I am. Maybe he's going to gather the people around and have them all stone me to death. Surely wrath is coming from this great teacher. And instead Jesus said his name. He said, I want to go to your house today. And it changed his life forever. It changed his life forever. While we were still sinners, while we were still searching, Christ died for us. He died for you. Some of you have heard that many, many times in your life and have believed it to various levels and degrees. Hear it for the first time again. He loves you. He died for you. You think you deserve something, and he offers you the most beautiful thing instead. That's just who he is. He came to rescue you in your brokenness and in your searching, and we've experienced his selflessness. When we, excuse me, when we've experienced his grace and forgiveness, uh, we cannot help but give our lives away for others as Jesus did. I love the gospel. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to go into a time of Selah. I'll ask Brad and whoever else to come on up. Um, and for Selah today, I want to do something just a little bit different. Um, obviously, you don't have to participate. I'm not going to do any weird stuff, I promise. But I'm going to ask you to imagine something. So it might be a little easier to close your eyes as you imagine it. So if, you, if you'll humor me and, and do that. I don't know if you've ever done imaginative prayers. This might be weird for some of you, but uh, I love putting myself in the Bible story. I just thought maybe we could put ourselves in that sycamore tree for a minute. I know it's kind of cheesy, but if you can just picture yourself up there, like Zacchaeus, for some of us, we've heard about Jesus our whole lives. We've become numb to who he is. Maybe we've become numb to the gospel, if we're honest. What would Jesus say to you today? For some of you, maybe you've never put your faith in this person of Jesus, maybe because of the icky, like, Christian nationalist culture around us. I get that. I know that Christianity's got weird things tied to it. But when we just look at the person of Jesus, maybe you heard something today and you thought, like that Jesus I can get behind. I want you to know today, he has always been coming after you. He has always known your name. You are so precious to him, whether you believe it or not. And up in that tree today, what would he say to you?